Captain's Log, Stardate 4805.3. She's here. <laughs> Welcome to Reengage, a uh, Gen X podcast for four Gen Xers who do no research other than rewatch our loveliest TV show from the 90s, Star Trek The Next Generation. We are here to talk to you, whoever you are, about our experience re-watching our favorite show. I'm joined by my cultural bridge officers, as usual. Uh, from left to right, the way I see it, none of you can tell. But we'll start with Kate Yeager. How are you doing today, Kate? Well, I'm number one, so I'm happy. Number one with a bullet, <laughs> Kate Yeager. Happy and delightful, as always. We move from there to the opposite end of the spectrum. Jimmy G, how are you doing? What you mad about today? Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love all y'all. Thank you, Jimmy. A great greeting, as always. Greg Tito, what's up with you? I can't top that, so I'm just going to say I love MASH. <laughs> oh, yay. oh yes a perfect bringing us into half a life uh one of our one of the less ultimate uh episodes of the fourth season of star trek the mission race so i was gonna say penultimate but we're not even close to there so i i went to less ultimate <laughs> so uh not that it's not a great episode. As always, we see what else was happening around this time in the world. Greg, when was it and what was going on? It was May 6th, 1991. Two things of note happened. One is Philadelphia Philly Lenny Dykstra slammed his sports car into two trees. And that just is a story I remember. I don't know. Did you remember that? Oh, yeah. Famous scumbag Lenny Dykstra. That dude has just taken every little loose bit of fame that he generated and uh, tried to turn it into various money-making schemes, and it's been pathetic and wonderful to watch ever since. <laughs> and that is a great segue into the second story. Uh, also on the day this aired, Time Magazine published The Thriving Cult of Greed and Power, a Ooh. takedown of Scientology. Uh, for many folks, this was the first time, at least for me, that I heard of this group i think it had been like whispered about in in the 70s and 80s uh and this is where it became a uh bellwether for uh folks within the hollywood area uh you know being involved in all of it and the article spawned you know tons of response from Scientology itself they spent millions of dollars trying to change the narrative around their money making cult uh, including um, a series of uh, advertisements in USA Today in which they actually gave their handbook out to more people uh, than ever. And uh, it is, you know, I think this article, again, just showed how it changed everything. And now Scientology has no power whatsoever. Right, Eric? <laughs> Where's Shelly? Where is she? All right. Where is she? Is is that the uh, the sum total of kind of what was going on in our neck of the woods? That's what's going on, and in, in particular, your neck of the woods. Well, yeah, no shit. Hemet, Hemet in the great state of California, surrounded by Scientologists. Kate Yeager. At this particular time, what was distracting us and teaching us? Well, the things that were distracting us were repetition. Uh, we were <laughs> craving familiarity, so we have the same 
top uh, contenders from last week, Baby Baby by Amy Grant, topping the music charts, and Oscar, uh, a, a movie that has not stood the test of time, uh, remaining number one at the movies. But on the Great Broadway, the Will Rogers Follies opened. Oh, that's lovely. I love Will Rogers Follies. Kate, did you did you have a, a second to watch Oscar yet? Not yet. I'm it's hard to find. <laughs> yes, I think it is. I think purposely. <laughs> to uh Sly Stallone himself. Yeah, I forgot to I forgot to mention that Don Amici is also in it. Oh. This is every single person. Um, even if it's just to see Don Amici and Eddie Bracken, it's worth trekking down. <laughs> trekking down, he said, moving forward with Jimmy G. What was going on with this particular episode? And uh, what do you hate about it? <laughs> well, we'll get to that later. Uh, continuity <laughs> notes here. Oscoid leaves are brought up. This is what uh, Loxana orders up as some comfort food. It was not our first introduction to the oxoid leaves. Uh, we were introduced to them in Menage a Trois. Um, same episode where we get the nickname Mr. Wolf for Wharf. <laughs> Always fun. Uh, and then Rigel 4 is mentioned in this episode. That dates back to TOS, um, the episode Wolf in the Fold. I don't know if you remember this, but it is... Wharf. It's Wharf. In the Fold. This is when uh, Rajak, a evil force, possesses one of the planet's administrators Ooh. and goes on a killing spree and uh, Montgomery Scott is accused of doing the killing. We find out that the evil spirit is also known as Jack the Ripper. Oh. Just in case, you know, because you want to make the, the evil spirits relatable <laughs> to yeah. modern audiences. And that's all we have in the Nemesis Files. <laughs> all right, so we come to me to talk about the embarrassment, honestly, of riches of guest stars in this episode. We have talked at length about the great Majel Barrett, whose career was inextricably tied to that of her husband, Gene Roddenberry. She is in uh, many of the other uh, properties that he is associated with and gives fantastic performances all the way through. We are so lucky to have her as the Waxana Troy, uh, in, in my opinion. I just think she is just terrific. So I'm sure we'll talk more about her throughout the episode. We also have the great Carol Stryken returning as Mr. Hom, a genius that we all also remember fondly as Lurch in the 90s uh, movies of the Addams Family. I think we're going to keep most Michelle Forbes talk to when we see her as the the ridiculously wonderful um, Ensign Roe Laren later in the series, uh, but she is a uh, a Hall of Famer as Star Trek royalty, and she is here as Timison's daughter, Dara. Uh, suffice to say, she's a stunningly good Star Trek, or Star Tractor, and uh, we will get to her uh, as we keep doing what we're doing. Uh, we'll spend most of my little time here on David Ogden Steers, as, yeah. as Mr. Greg Tito refers to him, though I think most of the rest of the world says David Ogden Steers. I did not look it up in keeping with the tradition that we share here of being Gen X lazy buns. Uh, for, MASH is clearly the first, the, the first certainly for everyone of our generation and older that we would think of with him. I think Beauty and the Beast is second. Uh, for me, Doc Hollywood is third. What about y'all? What What do you think of third when you think of David Ogden's Steyer ears? <laughs> <Steyer> ears. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Mash looms large for me. Uh, sure. Uh, bigger than any of those. I'd forgot he was in Doc Hollywood. It was, uh, you know, I was Army Brat. Uh, MASH was such a big deal that when it went off the air, there was a MASH day on the military base mm. where they had different celebrations all around. Uh, and one of them was on this makeshift stage that was literally the back of a trailer, like, uh, you know, a flatbed trailer that was just parked in the truck removed they had a stage and they did um plays throughout the day and that hmm. was uh one of my early you know introductions into theater oh well that's pretty fucking cool jimmy g i think uh he has the best lines in beauty and the beast so that has yes. always been in the forefront of my mind and plus as a young youngster being brought up on mash like remembering watching the finale with my parents it was one of the first times that a voice actor was like exciting to me because I recognized the voice and n- knew who it was. Uh, and then again, just the best lines. Well, what's what's your favorite one? Oh, gosh. One. Uh, when he's talking about... Uh, thank you for putting me on the spot. It's helpful. Uh, when, <laughs> you are when welcome, When the Beast is trying to talk about uh, how he should... Um, get to know bell better he's he says the regular the usuals like uh dinner chocolates promises you never intend to keep those kinds of things <laughs> love it you can hear the voice yeah. like it's just it's so good for me i say doc hollywood because he's the mayor of the uh the the town that's known for its squashes right uh and he spends so much time just talking about squashes and he has such a long <laughs> and, career uh, as a voice actor too i i didn't realize oh, this until i looked at long. his list but icewind dale the dnd yeah. video game he's the narrator for and i remember absolutely being a big part of the marketing around that just being like oh my god that's it's it's winchester he's he's doing all the <laughs> the, the narration for that game and that you know is uh, uh his voice is just one of those things that you recognize almost immediately you know if you hear it on a commercial or in a video game it's like oh yeah that's that guy Certainly. And his first voice credit, do you know this? No. No. His first credit as a voiceover actor was THX 1138. Wow. Is he the voice of that? Which is pretty fucking... Ooh! Ooh! Like being beaten? Yeah. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's pretty fucking cool to have that one there. But you're right. His, his voiceover stuff is legendary, including a lot of uh, comic book characters, especially in the DC universe. He also... Played the Martian Manhunter in mm. the uh, ill-fated uh, Justice League TV pilot that never went anywhere. He on Broadway he did the Magic Show with Doug Henning for four years, mm. which led to his appearance in the pilot of Charlie's Angels as their main backup muscle, uh, which then led to Mash. So um, he also on Broadway did Three Sisters and uh, other stuff over the years. Um, he was a regular most recently in the Dead Zone. And then he spent years as the conductor of the Newport, Oregon Symphony Orchestra, uh, which he was instrumental in founding. And he was a guest conductor uh, at over 90 orchestras around the world. Uh, he had no formal musical training. He just dug that shit. Huh. And, uh, and, and his love of classical music transcended his, uh, on MASH. I remember that was part of his character was that yes. he would listen to the classical music and do that conducting motion. And with conduct. His hands. Yeah. <laughs> um, he unfortunately passed away of bladder cancer in 2018. Dudes, uh, in your forties, you know, start considering asking your doctor about, uh, the possibility of bladder cancer. The uh, incidence is increasing. 
in in men especially. All right, moving on from there, we also have a brief uh, appearance by Terrence E. McNally, not to be confused with the uh, Broadway <laughs> dramatist as Batardo, but he was the uh, producer and uh, one of the minor stars of Earth Girls Are Easy, which is always worth, <gasps> always worth mentioning. Um, so that's fun. Kate, do you have an Earth Girls Are Easy memory you'd love uh, to no, share? No, it's just from my childhood and, and my lifelong love of that movie is is oh yeah, yeah. it's again not good but my love for it is <laughs> and the final and it must be mentioned i agree the final thing i want to remember is uh, a quote that i still say to this day is from his role as the father of john cusack in better off dead and he puts mm. on oh sure he puts on that coat that is the reindeer coat and he said well it sure is warm <laughs> and i say that to this day whenever my wife could be here you're gonna need this jacket it's i'm like well it's it's really it's really warm oh i like that greg good work my my favorite if we're all gonna do a styers my favorite if it is if it's not baroque don't fix oh, it yes <laughs> <laughs> i can't deal with it uh again i i certainly every time i hear the word baroque move in on that uh like it's a reflex. All right, so we to start, we have Deanna Troy as the as the opening personal log, which is a rarity. It's it's brief. It is counselor Deanna Troy personal log start date 44805.3. My mother is on board. Period. That's the end. <laughs> That's a perfect setup. And you cut it's the perfect setup to the visual punchline of the door opening and Jean-Luc Picard sticking his head out like Bugs Bunny. <laughs> it's incredible. It's so good. It's so good. He makes it three or four feet out and we hear Jean-Luc. <laughs> so from there, we move into the discussion with Luox on a Troy. Always a pleasure. He, they do their normal shtick of him trying to be as uh, polite and fastidious as possible with this chaos agent that is thrust upon him and drawn to him like honey. Do you get as big a kind of smile on your face when you see Luwaxana as I do, everybody? She looks fabulous, for one thing. She always looks fabulous. Like, whoever yes. whoever designs for her, like, I feel like we've had back-to-back -back amazing outfits for the women of uh, Star Trek that do not involve, yeah. that do not involve Lycra bodysuits, so I'm for it. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, yeah, she looks great. She's always in control of every scene she's in and revels in it. Like, as an actor, she's just extraordinarily fun to watch. I also like the tone setting here is subverted by the end of the episode, right? Where, like, this is firmly going to be yeah. a sitcom setup, mm. right? You, it's very much, you know, the, even the way you delivered that, that reminded me of, like, Benson and, like, that, like, yeah. I heard that. Like, that whole, like, sure. thing is, is front <laughs> of mind. And then it, I like how it, it takes those basis and, and shifts it uh, so that it becomes a much more dramatic episode by the end. Yeah. And you're right. It, it happens kind of late in the episode. It's an interesting thing to start here. I didn't remember what the, the big metaphor was <laughs> and they take their time in getting there. And when they get there, it is just stomped deep into the ground. Um, but it takes its, its time in getting there and we get to just enjoy the uh, overbearing loveliness that is the Waxana Troy. So she tells him he's not having enough sex. 
and uh, they uh, he tries to take his leave because someone from Kalon 2, the biggest scientist on Kalon 2, is coming to do some work with them. And she says, oh, Kalon 2! I've never heard of it. <laughs> and then he says, well, it's a very sticky situation. She goes, oh, diplomacy! I oh, just love diplomacy. Everyone dresses so well. And then it's settled. And uh, they enter... Um, Transporter room? Transporter room O'Brien. LaForge and O'Brien are noticing Luaxana silently and exchanging looks, which is always the fun uh, bit about the background characters around Luaxana and Jean-Luc. So then we see Timison, this famous doctor coming in from Kalar 2, uh, who immediately comes in and is charmed by the uh, handshake gesture they had told him about. But as soon as we get to that moment we hear the throat clearing and we get the luaxana intro uh which is just hello this is luaxana troy and she says and holder of the nine rings of power plus highest muckety muck of coral gables and the power umbrella uh and she goes right from that to what are you doing for dinner i mean does anyone stand a chance dealing with this woman oh no never (laughs) <laughs> I mean, Jordy says it best at the end of that episode, or the end of the little scene, right? That that man is in a lot yes. of trouble. Like, and then O'Brien makes his Irish face to it, and then that button scene over. So it's good. terrific. I also loved uh, David Ogden Styers. He said, "It is Styers." I believe Styers. All right, we'll say we'll go right for that for right now. Uh, but it's Steer such different even though we listed all of his characters here like to me most people did did know him as winchester who was this pompous arrogant you know rich silver spoon uh type of character and i love that this is right the exact opposite of that he is humble he's uh, you know a little bit like uh you know nonplussed by the forwardness of uh, luaxana troy and i kind of i kind of dig that contrast i'm like this is going to be a uh, a different uh, type of uh, character that we've seen uh, or that he's the most famous for. Right. Not quite the same kind of high strong. <laughs> we get back from the credits and the, the sun is dying. Timison's son. And uh, it's been dying for generations. And uh, the uh, Federation is going to help test this new technology uh, designed to reignite the sun. So we're in the conference room. The doctor has made adjustments to guidance systems to the torpedoes that really impress data. And that's, I think, a really nice piece of exposition. When you can impress data with something technical that you've done, that just shows kind of all of us that it was something nobody had thought of. And he made some connections that were kind of brilliant. So they found a son to, uh, the Federation went and found a son to test these theories on, just, you know, a son lying around that nobody needs. Uh, It took them a few years, but they found one. The people that Timison comes from are distrusting to the point of xenophobia, Data says later. But this is where our first kind of intro to that. They're like, you know, if you told us earlier, he's like, we don't tell people nothing. We, we, we don't like outsiders. We stick to our own shit. Uh, I'm kind of dour, but I'm like the nicest, most outgoing one. Uh, and then he does that, this is what I want, and then there's that pregnant pause before I die, he says, uh, which is kind of out of left field, and we're just like, oh, he's a happy guy. (laughs) I think we all kind of marked that for later, but by the time they bring that back up again, I know I had forgotten it. What do you guys think? I definitely noted it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was it was pretty straightforward <laughs> and it's a character choice yeah at this point you just think it's like oh this is this is his legacy this is the thing he's working towards 
uh, and he might have decades to come, but like this is what he wants to do before he dies. Right. And then that the, you do notice that the that he's young to have said before I die in such a dark kind of way. But hey, some people are dark. <laughs> then we go right back into comedy immediately with Luaxana having her go at Wharf Station uh, with her "What does this button do?" bit, uh, which is. What, what are you shaking your head, Jimmy? Tell me about what's I'm going tr- on. I've been trying to hold my tongue. You're not a Loxana fan. No, she's great. I like the character, and she does bring okay. comedy, and, and Magil does her brilliantly. The writers <laughs> do a total disservice to this episode and to her as a performer by making all the other characters dumb in this episode. Suddenly, John sure. Picard isn't the staunch, this is my ship, you will do it my way, Captain, for this one episode because it's convenient for five scenes to set up the juxtaposition to what she becomes dramatically later. She's allowed to do whatever the fuck she wants. She can burst into (laughs) diplomatic negotiations with a a race that has been reticent to meet with anybody, uh, which is totally unacceptable and not funny or cute in any way. She can just walk (laughs) onto the bridge and start fucking around with buttons, which could do absolutely anything because it's kind of <laughs> cutesy and it's Troy's mom and it's absolutely not funny. Uh, and then in the next scene, she just busts in on a guy who's trying to save his fucking planet from being burned to a crisp from the sun so that they can have a little bite to eat. All because she's horny or more directly and embarrassing because the writers were too lazy to come up with a clever and realistic way to make that transition from who she has been in every uh, episode until now, which is comic relief, to her more than capable ability to do drama. It was just lazy, stupid writing to just totally throw out all these characters, everything they've always done before, just to set up this transition. And she's good enough that you don't have to do that. Like it was, I was angry when I was watching it that like, (laughs) why does she get to do this? Like, why did she just walk onto the bridge? How come there isn't any kind of protocol so that just anybody walks on and starts fucking hitting buttons? It wasn't cute. Or was it? Jimmy. Because at the end, I did love the turn. But I was like, you could have done this without all of that. Like, you're good enough, Madge. You're like, this actor has the chops. You don't have to cheat. You don't have to be lazy. Give her the challenge of going from comedy to drama without it being slapstick comedy that hasn't this it's not earned in my opinion it really it really impacted me negatively for this episode wow would you say that you were angry about it (laughs) i wanted to bite my pillow (laughs) (laughs) well the security of jimmy i had no idea that you were going to be angry but i'm really glad i chose that tack when i was poking you earlier (laughs) it It makes I can tell. Worf is uh, doesn't know how to deal with uh, captain's girlfriends or uh, counselor's mothers on the bridge. Right. That is true. true. This is the but... second time that we've had uh, an interloper in the last few episodes who finds their way to the bridge. And we did learn last episode that Picard's like, look, our security's fine, but could, <laughs> That's could right. someone come aboard? Maybe. <laughs> it would be difficult, man. but not impossible. Shit happens. Oh, God. I love it. 
All right. So, Mr. Wolf, um, <laughs> make sure that she she doesn't get to touch the uh, the eject button and uh, get us all off the bridge. So, Mr. Uh, T- Timison comes in and she's like, let me date you. And he's like, I have to work. And uh, uh, Deanna is like, mother, you were waiting for me. And she's like, yes, I was. Now, back to this. Uh, and then Riker's like, get off the bridge. And then uh, Timison's like, she's too young to be your mother. And that was a really fun scene. Except for Jimmy. <laughs> I, I, I kind of enjoy it when she comes in and takes control. Because I, I see Picard, as, as Jimmy has said many times, often picks and chooses the regulations he wants to follow based on how he's feeling that day. It's true. Uh, I'm, I'm cool with it since he knows that she is largely good hearted. mean something to him or not. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah, Kate. Well, let's not forget, she is an ambassador too. So she does have yes. a level of like esteem that doesn't preclude, you know, like being able to jump on the bridge and stuff, but does give a little credence to why everyone's a little bit like, oh, I don't know how to deal with you. She ain't just the money class. She's the powered class as well. She's the holder of the seven coins. That's what I was just going to say. She's got a chalice. It's got a number associated with it. I don't know what number it is, but it's She's fifth the fifth chalice. cup of horniness. Who the fuck knows who ambassadors are anyways? There's none of us who would like walk by someone's like, oh, there's the ambassador to China right there. I never thought I would have we met them in person. We would if they dressed like Luoxana Troy. <laughs> and if it was my job to know, I would probably know. <laughs> I don't know whose job on that ship it is to know who the ambassador is, other than maybe the Picard. I do love there's a great visual gag in when uh, Troy and enters in with uh, Tamison, uh and it looks like Luxana is going straight to Tr- Troy to yes, like greet funny. as the right, you know, right. and then just breezes right past her. It was just it was well My done. My dear, yeah, yeah, yeah. I My agree. Dear, there are a few of those in this. <laughs> it's fun. So uh, they have that long, you know, she's too long pause vibrant and i said out loud vibrant before he did uh because that is how clearly written this episode is <laughs> to be a nicer way of saying it than jimmy uh <laughs> it is it is telegraphed a bit from moment to moment which doesn't help these actors but these actors are so good troy gives her beta z face uh <laughs> that lets us know that something's going on but we're not sure what and then we're in engineering working hard and as jimmy mentioned here's where she comes in to completely ignore the the hard work of saving a son so that we can throw a picnic lunch on the actual engineering table right once more she can do whatever she wants and no one says boo and jimmy is not here for it Data has some hijinks about how he agrees with her that there's, uh, you know, uh, Trekno babble ways of saying hunger is bad. Uh, Jordy says, not you too. And then Tamison says, yeah, let's, let's make this happen. And then we get Mr. Hom spread it. They do a lot of really fun end moments of scenes in this one. I did like the shot of her sweeping the like iPads off the table. I like that was right. like a, it was a down shot, right? You see her face lifting over it and sweeping it off. It was an interesting yeah. direction shot there. Tricorders go flying. But I agree with Jimmy a little bit. Like if you're gonna have a picnic, don't do it on a computer like console <laughs> surface. Right? Like those well, are that's why we're spreading it. There. Right, you can those put are your touch drink buttons. down and and launch some probes. <laughs> right. 
that's why Mr. Hom's spreading a temperature-controlled uh, multi-flex uh, blanket that takes care of all that stuff. It's a Mylar blanket. Oh, she okay. is an yes. ambassador. I mean, after all. After she all. She would have the all best right. blankets available. <laughs> so then we cut to Luxana and uh, Timison in the Trekovator. And Waxana kind of knocks the wall and says deck eight, which is another fun little physical <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> She's a boomer. Then she says, you married? And he says, widowed. And I always love that she seems to respect some things. Uh, and, and marriage <laughs> is one of those things. Like, uh, it's I, I will immediately stop going after you because I recognize that you're shy. But if you're shy and married, then I'm done. Uh, but the moment he says, you know, widowed for a long time, she then just kind of sidles up to it and then grabs his arm like i i kind of love this this way of courting him uh it's absolutely as genteel as she could possibly manage and it's fun to watch that struggle with her for me it's how i got my fiance slash husband so you know you gotta get the shy ones and just get right That's in their great. face. <laughs> and be the loud, vibrant one who keeps them from, you know, their life being completely boring. And they keep you from going off the rails. It's perfect. Mm. Well, this is kind of a a, a, uh, a nice segue into what I wanted to say, Kate, which is that I, I find that Majel Barrett laughs uncommonly well for an actor. Mm. I think a lot of people go to laughter to mask some shit and they're really bad at it and it really sucks and is a, a, a easy way to suck. So people teach actors not to laugh as opposed to teaching actors how to laugh well. Right on this podcast, we have one of the best actor laughers that I've ever seen, which is uh, young Kate <gasps> Yeager, who, who I think on stage, when the character needs to be jocular and and or befuddled or needs to have any kind of laugh you're looking for uh eight times a week i'm i'm always in awe of how well you do that particular part of oh, acting technique thank you i have it on my resume as a special skill you wow. should you're incredible at thank it, it you. it's it's new every time wow yeah she invites him in for a nightcap and it's a lovely moment mm. like there's some some really really good dialogue here for me when uh speaking about laughing you know uh he he says you know you make me laugh and she just brays at him and part of it is you can see in her eyes she wants to laugh because he just said you make me laugh she wants to be like yeah you make me laugh too she's like here's my laugh uh it's a it's a nice bit and then she says just say yes i'll make you laugh some more and that again is such a for him such a kind of brazen pornographic thing to say, you know, <laughs> and she, she knows it and it's just so well calibrated mm. to the, to the audience she's flirting with. And I, I just, I, I think Luxana Troy is a fantastic character. So he says, no. <laughs> and uh, then we move to the torpedo test uh, on the bridge. Jimmy. You've been quiet again. Are things building up? Do you have... Uh... No, I love this scene. And this was probably one of the things that, like, it, it calmed me down from the first part. But it's like, see, this is why I'm right. Like, we didn't need yeah. all the stuff that just breaks the world that we already had. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was lovely without that. Like, 
this where the trajectory could have been achieved without that stuff that annoyed me because like this moment was absolutely delicious um yeah. you know and like i'm wondering did did she sense that she was like to me the laughter was a little bit nervous like does she sense he's gonna say no like mm-hmm. she already knows that he's right which way he's going she can feel it but she's like clinging on to come on yeah this is exciting i want to be with you and like <laughs> okay you know like it was like it seemed like a vulnerable moment well and i agree it is a little nervous she seems it seems important to her yes. and and that's kind of how we we get to see that this is she's catching feelings it's the first moment of the switch of this isn't comedic luxana we're seeing a different side she's not one dimensional and it like this is right. the very first step in that direction we don't Great. we don't know it quite yet but she says i think in the next scene that she can't read timison at all Right, right. So the, right. the species right. are not right. compatible, and that's what also makes her a little bit like, you know, not understanding how to how to go in this way because she she can feel what Picard's doing, and she likes poking <laughs> at that. Uh, <laughs> and in this, she's using some of those same tactics because they're somewhat similar uh, in in reticence. Um, and but this is where we actually see her vulnerability a little bit more, and I I actually kind of dig that. It's yeah. just she's putting it out there, and she's like, why don't you? And uh, uh, I think uh, David Ogden Styers does a good job of really re- like you see him wrestling with this decision mm. visually for a, a good like 10 seconds. It's like a long time of him. And, and I, as the audience member, didn't know. I was like, is he is he going to like we know it's going to happen eventually, but is it going to happen in this scene? <laughs> and <laughs> it was really fascinating to see him uh, make that decision. And then when the door closes to immediately regret that decision of. Of of uh, Luwaxana's seduction. I only got one I night to live, and I'm not gonna waste <laughs> it in this place. Yeah, Kate. I just love in general. This episode is one of the horniest episodes that we've had, <laughs> for sure, yeah. uh, including. The fact that when we talk about he's the wrong species, she's like, but he's compatible in all other ways, <laughs> which is just important. Yeah. So I'm I'm just all about uh, how smash worthy this entire yes. episode is. How thirsty she is. <laughs> oh. Completely on board. Yes. So the as the bridge prepares for the sun tor- t- torpedo <laughs> test, the Troys are finding clothes for Luaxana. Uh, as they speak, it's a nice little moment of Loxana wants to use telepathizing, and uh, uh, Deanna likes to talk in front of people, and she's like, but we're alone, and she just gestures to uh, Mr. Hom, and Loxana just rolls her eyes. <laughs> it's like, he's not people. What do we call it? Mind speaking? Mind talking? What do we call this? Well, I was going to say, <laughs> I've noticed more in this episode, especially in the later scene, when they're doing their mind talking, uh, how well those two actresses do that, uh, which has to be hard because I'm like, okay, is it have they recorded it and they're listening to it and responding or are they saying the lines in their head? Like there's just so many different ways they could have filmed that. But I think that they do it extraordinarily well, uh, something that could look really 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 cheesy um, you know, like straining your eyes right. to look the other way yes. at the God voice right. Maybe like that? Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I agree. It's it's really fun and seamless, and it all seems to make sense as to when they do it. 
they get more horny and uh, Deanna <laughs> eventually says, you're not just incorrigible, you're insatiable. <laughs> and we get another one of those big old looks on a braise of a laugh. It's great. Back to the uh, bridge where all systems go. Worf, go ahead and shoot the sun. <laughs> and Worf's like, fuck yeah. And, uh, Forever! <laughs> yes. Uh, we get a lot of Trekno babble right out of a submarine torpedo scene here. It's it's just, it's like every one ping only. It's just all the way through here. Right. It's fantastic. Jimmy doesn't hate this scene. No. Am I right, Jimmy? I did not. I, but I was waiting for the reverse. You could feel it. You yes. Know, like two, 218 Kelvin, 220 Kelvin. Looks like it's going to work out. We might be a cause for celebration. I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> I can say I that, Jordy, fast. I can hear it that there's going to be, it's going to keep going, right? It's going to keep going. Yep. Heat was increasing. Density was densing. You, you can hear it in the close-ups. The fact. Oh, yeah. All the close-ups. So as Jimmy said, it got up to 220 degrees Kelvin, uh, which was the piece of exposition in the middle of that nerdscape that we all wanted to get. Then they said, congratulations may be in order, which is the way to give Jordy uh, a way out when it clearly it was not going to happen. <laughs> it's like, give Jordy a little bit of clearance here. Jordy's heartbroken. He says, 222. <gasps> then eventually it gets to critical, unstable, and Riker gives the, let's get the hell out of here, which is always <laughs> fucking fascinating. Warp 2 now. There we go. Which is impressive that they found a star they could fuck with, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, they just killed a system. There's got to be stuff dead. out there that we can just fuck around with. It works, it works. If it doesn't, who needs this star anyway? <laughs> I, all I could think is yeah. there's some tiny exoplanet out there that's like, fuck! <laughs> it was fine a minute ago! <laughs> this is Seti Alpha 6! That's your backstory, is like there's some enraged survivors somewhere that are like, we've been looking for the Enterprise for two centuries. You blew up oh, our planet! Boy. I want it. I want it bad. They screwed with the Pine Directive again. Without even knowing it. All right. So, uh, Timison's having a bad day. So, you had a bad day. And uh, he says, thank you to you and your crew, sir. Most grateful. Oh, as he's holding back tears. Oh, fuck. It's so good. Yes. And his whole tone here immediately brings you back to mind to that before I die moment. Like this was the end for him. We go right from there to Sad 10 Forward. Uh, Sad 10 Forward always has the best lighting. Luaxana fishes for a compliment, but he's just a wall. I can't compliment you right now. There's no time for sex. Uh, And then she says, that's enough. That's okay. I can make enough conversation and sex for both of us. (laughs) <laughs> and he says, no, I'm sorry. You're great. It's just that I'm going home to die. And then we get a commercial for Honey Nut Cheerios. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> I will say for some reason, this scene, especially that fishing for compliment line has been stuck uh-huh. in my brain for three decades. Hmm. Uh, oh, that's fun. It's something I didn't even realize I remembered it until it came up. I was like, oh my God, that's where I got, I know that definition of fishing for compliment. And I will sometimes even say that line to myself. Uh, in in social situations, uh, and it's yeah, and I think it, a lot of it has to do with gun. I'm going into this more when we do our final thoughts. But my mother was a huge fan of Luwak's on a Troy, and uh, also worked in a nursing home and did a lot of stuff with older people. Uh, and so, this was a meaningful episode for for her, uh, and uh, especially that fishing for a compliment line. I don't, she 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 did that a lot. Hmm. 
Well, yeah. I mean, after we talk about Honey Nut Cheerios, we're coming back and getting into the meat of the metaphor. Right. Here, uh, which let's dive into. Um, we're back at Kalon 2. We're about to offer extended support to the Kalon Tuians, but they <laughs> uh, they don't want it. They just want their Timison back. Just give them to us and uh, we'll figure it out. You know, no big deal. Uh, and then Lawaxana comes in and says they're murderers. They make all the 60-year-olds commit suicide. It's Logan's run, mm. but the metaphor was too subtle, so we mm. have to speed it up and uh, make it about uh, required retirement uh, at age 65, basically. My headcanon is that the, the resolution does involve them exploding like balloons into fireworks, like in uh, Good. Logan's run. Good, because, I mean, <laughs> that's the best way to go. Without the sexy togas, um, though. You don't know that. <laughs> that's true, I don't know that. <laughs> That's basically what Loxana is wearing in the last scene. The resolution we hear about. I have no choice but to let him kill himself, says Picard. Because now he's about the prime directive. Well, he just got in trouble. It's raw. He's still raw from <laughs> That's having true. the nine other episodes. That's a good point. He doesn't want to make it ten. Times. He doesn't want to make it an easy time. the point. hell out of me. I just blew up a sun. <laughs> but also, <laughs> here's my counter. Like, is it really the prime directive? They already have space travel. They know who each other are. Right. You're not. But it's not interfering with not, with the private doings of a non-member society. That, is that so you'd be okay is? with one group broad? doing I genocide so. on another uh, in that situation, <laughs> yeah. right? This, right? This is. Where yeah. It all why not? Down. Yeah. I don't want to interfere. Um, and that's what she basically says. In a situation like this, you absolutely have to interfere. And then he says, prime directive, prime directive, prime directive. <laughs> and then she says, it's yours, not mine, and goes running. And then computer, locate Counselor Troy <laughs> to handle her mother. I noted that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. They all looked at each other and went, there's only one thing we can do. Bitches, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> Like, come on, guys. So Luaxan is back in transporter room O'Brien, and he's not sure what to do. Deanna comes in to try to save him, says uh, he's under orders. Uh, Luaxan says, his orders don't apply to me. And she says, no, they apply to him. Mm, that was a nice little Which, yeah, that was a nice little moment here. I'm not quite sure what it means when you dig into it, but it's it, the, the rhythms are really, really nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So O'Brien ex excuses himself to check the pattern buffers. Uh, and very conspicuously puts the right. child lock. <laughs> he puts the child lock on. It's so good. It's fantastic. I don't trust you, Luxana. That gives him like the look and leaves. So mother daughter, you know, I'm crying. I'm sorry, I'm crying. Well, I don't want to cry. I never cry. Well, you cried when dad died. So did I. And it's like, well, this isn't that. And she says, "Are you sure?" And I'm like, "Yes, I'm sure. This is not the same as when your dad died." What the hell are you talking about? But to, for the plot, yes. Uh, she's like, he's not ill. There's no accident, just death for no reason. Society says too old, so they dispose. It's the getting old sucks thing. It's very, very, very true. Uh, this was right around the time they were trying to implement mandatory retirement ages through unions and things like that. Uh, they're still trying to now go uh, back and forth on that depending on which one makes the corporation more money and it's it's really fascinating it's the same old shit i was just gonna say i actually really enjoy this conversation between deanna and the Waxana, uh because sure. she's 
really counseling, right? Like, I feel like the writer, you know, Jimmy, you have some criticism on the writers, but in this, they gave her some actually good lines. And I think that line about her father dying is really poignant because it's that same, that same pain, that same, you know, feelings that she might have had romantically for uh, Timison here kind of are the same feelings that she was having perhaps with Gianna's father, right? And so I think that comparison really breaks down what what Lilixana is feeling here. And I was like, man, Deanna, you really did cut right to the to the heart of the matter in a way only that she could and as a counselor that she could like and i just want to say i love the walks and you said she's a good cry uh, life laugher she's a really good crier too like this felt so real and in touch with uh, the 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 emotional information that she's giving here well we have such different approaches to crying in this episode <laughs> and what happens is you know she's the kind of crier that lets it out and just goes especially in front of her daughter you know where uh she feels uh, supported and then later on um and earlier we we see timison fighting against it kind of all the way through but he makes the choice not to wipe away his tears when they do come it's 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 all an interesting political discussion among actors because so many actors here the rule is you 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 fight against crying that's always more interesting but there's never an always, and that's the, right. that's the thing. It's it's knowing when to break that and realizing that people don't follow those rules, so neither do characters. And um, she's so vibrant. Of course, she would cry yeah, as loud and, as she. And that's laughed. the thing, like especially when there's a loss like this, where you feel so helpless. Like you know, nothing makes me remember the 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 death of a close friend or family member like an actor that can really let loose when they need to, uh, because sometimes many people do let loose it's just the way it works uh but only when they do and that's where the holding it back comes from <laughs> uh, but then these two let loose in other yes, ways mm-hmm. yes brown chicken brown, they go back brown. to the horniness open mouth kissing um, yes open mouth kissing and more she <laughs> hugs she says i hate you i will never accept it never never then they smash and then they wake up after <laughs> She's just staring at him while he sleeps. It's pretty cute. <laughs> then uh, he takes this time to explain that people used to be alone and elders got eld and unhealthy and invalids and institutionalization. So we killed them all and it's all better. Get it? Right. They were forced to live a time uh, to when they meant nothing. And I'm, li- and I'm like, dude, that's really fucked. And she says, no, 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 you're not cruel to them. You just kill them. And Alexan is just not having them to get rid of the problem by getting rid of the people, she says, uh, which is a line that I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, that was a good one. And then he says, well, aging places a dreadful burden on the children. Parents shouldn't expect repayment for the love they've given the children. She's like, why the hell not? <laughs> which is another good bit. It's 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 every conservative versus uh, lefty talking point. You know, it's, it's support the eld, support the youth, uh pay for schools even when you don't have kids like all this kind of stuff why should i be anybody else's problem um and then she tells the wig story (laughs) oh we love the wig story i love we i mean we need to hear that it's her don't we oh it is her though right or i mean if it's not her it's 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 her right it's the her mom or her great-grandmother or you know that shit's a troy Or whatever her maiden name is. Although it's Betazoid. Fuck that. She's a Troy. 
So, you know, it's tough, too, because it's not real debate. Like, they mm-hmm. have the characters debate in such a way that helps the plot. Not not the way people might actually debate something like this. Because I believe no one is irreplaceable, and I believe that people should be forced to retire at various times. But it should be, it should be a confrontation if they don't want to leave and don't realize that they can and should. Do you know, it shouldn't be this antiseptic rule situation like they're talking about. Uh, but also it shouldn't be, you should just be allowed to stay until you ruin everything. <laughs> so like whether that's at 40 or 38 or, or 70, uh, just you know, look at what's happening in the happen Senate sometime. right now. Right. Like that's, yeah, it wasn't a, ever a fair argument because it was of course lopsided. Like it, it, they went in knowing this is the only right side. Right. And because right. there is only one right side. So he never had any hopes of mounting an intelligent, meaningful, argument and then so and but one thing they could have explored at least in the argument's sake is and i don't support this but just like for writing like a better argument than well now we don't have to watch people suffer is right now people are living like they know that nature could still come and get them at 40 but they know if it doesn't they're dying at 60 so live now and our technology is spurred. We're faster than, like, we've made jumps in our technology, our life. People seem to live fuller. Like, we have a different way of living now because the clock is always ticking. And you know, like, I'm not supporting that. I'm just saying it's a better argument than anything they gave him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And it's not a hard thing to right. find a better argument right. than, yes. than they gave kind right. of all the way through. As Taco Bell said, live Moss. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, they do. They're the only ones that uh, make it into the future, right? They win the fast food wars. So. <laughs> yeah, according right. to the Demolition Man. Oh, Jesus. Then we get uh, a bunch of scenes in a row where, you know, we find he suddenly has a inspiration and knows kind of the, the way to go forward with his research that will save the planet. Uh, we get back to the planet. The planet's like, oh, come on back. We'll kill you. He says, no, I have this thing. I want to work. He's like, oh, great. Someone else will do it. Uh, we're going to kill you. He says, no, I bet I'm so far ahead of everybody else. It's like, no, it's cool. Come on. You're being very, very selfish. Come on down here and we'll kill you. And then we'll talk about it. And um, it's it's really unreasonable. Uh, he calls him selfish, does all that stuff. Uh, then basically they bring his daughter in to talk him into it. Uh, and that's after he said, no, I'm definitely not going. I need asylum. I will not go back and die. Uh, the daughter comes in says, I eventually it boils down to, I love you, but I am ashamed. Mm, That was nice. Yeah. Yeah, That was a lovely moment. A terrible thing to say, but that was a great moment. The way she delivered it, like earnestly, like that she believed what she was saying, like, I am ashamed of you. And his, the gut punch that the dad got from that immediately. Oh, that was, that was a lovely scene. And you can totally see from that five minutes on screen. They're like, get her back. Yeah, for sure. We need her on this show all the time. Absolutely correct. And and plot wise, the only thing that, that really happens after this is eventually because of that, 
kind of shaming and guilt. Uh, uh, although he says there are other reasons, he does eventually decide to go back, and Troy goes back with him to support him in this decision. We don't have a lot of time to go through all that, so I wanted to get the plot so we can still have a couple minutes of of talking the philosophical things that come up. I, I think they don't have a fucking leg to stand on with any of the shit that the people on the planet are pushing, but the things that the writers are pushing and the themes behind the metaphor are always valid and salient and and worth talking about uh we we do throw away our resources before they're ready because the resources cost more not just uh in terms of retirement but you know if you have a 50 year old employee you do have to pay that person more than you have to pay a 25 year old employee by and large so uh keeping them around versus getting rid of that experience in in the face of someone who will do more for less is also what they're talking about. So they're, they're talking about several different capitalist <laughs> and cultural issues all at once. Uh, so it's, it's, they had to make it so very broad that I don't think they were able to really discuss it in the ways that it, that it, it could have been done. So uh, we'll start with, uh, as we give these final ratings for the episode, uh, Greg Tito, what did you think? Uh, and what is the rating system you'll employ today? I, this is a really hard one for me. So I, I think I'm going to give this one uh, six makeup effects on David Ogden Steyer's face. <laughs> I think this is an, a really tough episode. I remembered it, as I said, uh, a bunch. My mother was working in uh, a nursing home. She was a nurse at the time. And I would get regaled tons of stories about old people that she was caring for. Uh, and then uh, at dinner time, she'd be like, hey, remember that person I told you that really great story about? Well, they're dead now. And that was my life growing up. And, and she put so much energy and, and uh, uh, a lot of the love and care that probably uh, would have been talked about from the other side of the argument here uh, to these folks. And I, oddly enough, resented it. I didn't enjoy it. I thought, and I would go to visit her in these nursing homes and be like, these are prisons. Nobody wants to be here. Uh, this is not... From from her point of view, it did not seem like it was reverential to the life that these people had. And I kind of see the, the arguments of this race uh, more favorably than I think the three of you do in that, like, I think there is something to be said about going off when you're in full faculty uh, and because the other alternative is, is decades of unhappiness. <laughs> Uh, and uh, obviously we can create a society in which those decades of unhappiness don't exist, but this one doesn't seem uh, that unhappy. Uh, at least in this situation, he was extremely unhappy, and I like that we got to wrestle with this idea a little bit more, um, but I, I, it, it's fraught for me on an emotional level, and I think that's, again, why this makes it a really fun, not fun, a really good uh, sci-fi episode, because, again, it takes things that are um, you know, fanciful and, and, and not real in our real world. But then we are wrestling with these issues uh, and it made me think about them and consider them in different ways, you know, like it did back then as well as it does now. And so the performances uh, here are fantastic. I love that we actually get two guest stars. Uh, we had two guest stars before, but they were still interacting very much with our main cast. This is almost pretty much like a vehicle for just uh, Major Barrett and David Ogden uh, uh, Stiers to... Uh, to work off each other and our main cast are almost a little bit, you know, uh, taking a, a much uh, you know, more of a, a subordinate role in this storytelling. Um, 
And I liked it for that reason. I thought that this was a really great exploration of, of those ideas. And it uh, ultimately, though, I'm I'm I, I I don't have as much happy feelings about it. All right. I, I like where you're going with that. And I will address some of my thoughts there in my in my own as well. That's interesting. Go ahead, Jimmy. What do you think about this one? Uh, I'm going to give this five Oscoid leaves, which is not enough to have a salad. Uh, it's middle of the road for me, and not because of the performances, as Greg said. Uh, the um, uh, DOS, as I like to call him, is uh, fantastic. Mashal is fantastic. It's kind of cool <laughs> that supporting actors are the center of the entire episode rather than our uh, regular cast and crew. Uh, what really draws it back for me, other than the outrage I experienced at the beginning of the show, um, more of an outrage, a disappointment with this episode and um, and also with one that I, I can't remember if we've seen it or we're, we're going to, when Riker falls in love with the non-sexual person, the whole society is non-sexual, and then she has feelings for him and she wants to pursue that and they really talk her out of it and then... Um, you know, she is uh, healed and she goes back with him uh, at the end of the episode. To me, that episode and this one are the same where the show didn't take a stand. It didn't pick a side. And that was really disappointing because at the end, he he goes back even though he, he didn't want to. And he's guilted into following this this path that um, he seems, and I'm not even putting myself on there, he seems to have come to... Um, It'd be at odds with with this society now uh and and they didn't give me a good reason why he went back it just seems like the show decided not to take a side um and i thought that was cowardly mm. in both respects and that's not why i go to star trek it's the techno babble uh techno babble and them taking a side very strongly in our society about this is how we this is what we should be as hard as it is, as painful as it might be to know that my daughter is ashamed of me for the rest of the, uh, for posterity's sake, I have to carry that weight so that we can go beyond this, this place where we are. That would have been exciting, but they were too cowardly to go down that road. And so they didn't. And so it's a it's a mid of the road kind of episode for me. It's it's not a code of honor bad. It's bad because they didn't have the balls to actually take a stand and and argue this from both points of view, really, and then make a choice which they thought was wrong. Not that it's you know, they're right, but take a fucking stand, man. I like it. Kate, did you like it? You know what? I did. I'm going to I'm going to differ from uh, the other two. And for me, it's primarily because of the acting. I'm going to give it mm. um, eight uh, Mylar blankets that are spread out in engineering. <laughs> uh, I think the acting is just superb in this episode and it draws me in uh, to the story. It, it makes me care. It takes a character that we've seen before in you know lots of different uh episodes we get to see Loxana in a in a different point of view and it's really lovely to get to see her flex uh those acting skills and to do so against such an amazing guest star 
um, for me is just wonderful. And like Greg, I think the reason I do like it more than Greg and Jimmy is that I feel conflicted and I don't know the right answer to be truthful. I think 60 is ridiculous. But I am one of those people that is terrified of becoming infirm and a burden when I grow older. I don't have children, so I don't know who's going to take care of me. And I think about that a lot uh, and don't want to be in a home, right? Like I I, because that's going to be the easiest place to put me when there's no one there to advocate for me. So these are things I think about. Uh, Again, I think that the like the way the society shifted to be like, all right, 60 is the magic number is, you know, ridiculous. But ultimately, I'm like, oh, I kind of understand their point in terms of an aging population that is feels like a burden and is difficult to deal with, because that's my one of my biggest fears. I am moved by Jimmy's plea that they take a stand. And I think that would have made the episode stronger. But my own reticence about the subject matter meant that as I was watching it, I I wasn't as outraged because I was like, oh, I get that a little bit, right? I get that fear. Uh, so yeah, it's for me primarily about those two amazing uh, acting performances. And it raises really interesting questions about what it means to age and what it means to age gracefully or forcefully or... <laughs> <laughs> or anything in between. All right. So we're running the gamut a little bit. I'm going to go somewhere in the middle. Uh, I've been going back and forth, and I'm, I'm going to say uh, six and a half Mr. Woofs. <laughs> For me, the, I, my anger is primarily with the writers. I agree with Jimmy that there's no... It, it's such a mealy-mouthed uh, uh, attempt to dr- address a series of interesting ideas. It, it is about faith and culture, it is about uh, age in our society. It's it's about interfering in other people's society. It's about requirements versus uh, individual uh, efforts of one's own. Like, I understand where Greg and Kate are both coming from, but fuck it if it's required. Oh, well, yes. Um, yeah. and, and that's, and that's what, the, that's what the, the thing is about. He's not asking about assisted suicide. He's asking about required assisted suicide. <laughs> all the way through and and that's what the issue is in this and that's why it's a lazy piece of writing for me um if you want to talk about i've already made this decision and you know the federation doesn't use money but we do as a society and i will be a burden to the people you know blah blah, blah. and and that kind of thing make it about an actual utopian dilemma mm. uh which is economic or interpersonal not you know whatever fake thing they've brought up here and and i agree with both of you the reason i go up to six six and a half is for the same reason that kate went up to an eight is that i think these uh, performances are are otherworldly um i'm I'm so in love with both of these guest stars and uh, as jimmy said with the immediate and kind of blinding promise of Michelle Forbes uh, the moment she sets foot on the set. Those are enough to me to bring it from a two to a six and a half. (laughs) So I'll, I'll, I'll give it that and happily. So, but when I think back on this episode, I I, I think very much like Kate, it'll, it'll be the performances that ultimately got my pants wet. (laughs) Oh, 
I don't know. Jimmy, and, I agree. Yeah. I agree with you, but unfortunately, my pants are wet. <laughs> <laughs> it's wet. Everything's wet. Thank you so much for riding along with us on this episode of Reengage. Next week, we continue our mission with the next episode of the fourth season of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Follow Reengage on Twitter at ReengageTNG to get updates when episodes are published and some other stuff. You can also follow our various Cultural Bridge crew on social media. Kate Yeager is at Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by Greg Tito. Logo artwork by MojoJojo97 on Twitter. Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now for the traveler to reengage.